that notion of being in the education sector for 20 years going surely we can mm. reform surely we can be a better version of ourselves and what we are and then seeing those sliders all those touch points that need to work in concert i got karen and said we're going to start getting our heads around an innovation plan we want to do all of these things and we want to try and do them in a, in a cohesive manner and it feels really big and we don't know how to do something this big uh, and none of us around the table had that experience and it was literally Karen said I know exactly the book that you should read <laughs> and I read it and this is quite a few years ago now I think it only just come out like I think I was, was struggling to find a copy of it and it just resonated with me very strongly because you know we do have a, a real spirit of innovation at Big Hills College hmm. but we want to develop a sense of how to go about it in, in the right way. And that's where I felt your book provided that real insight into, oh, so this is why if you don't move pedagogy at the same time as the learning environments, everyone goes back to the desks in the same way. So as a result, we reconfigured our innovation plan to use the sliders as, as a key grid, I guess, of framework for identifying teams within. So we started up new teams. We started up the learning learning space committee because they were going to start looking at learning spaces. And so without that bold moves, we would not have identified all those mm. aspects and we would have been moving forward with missing pieces. And part of the reason why we're sort of taking so long is we've had to go through the bold moves interrogation. We've had to kind of go back and pick up a few threads that were missed because as a team we said, look, if we don't move that slider, we won't arrive at the right space. So. It has been a really definitive sort of book for us. It's been very influential. And then when in concert with that, when Karen sort of said, oh, there's this Bold Moves project where we can work with the likes of you and Marie and stuff, so I was like, oh, well, this is, this is the perfect, perfect moment, I think. So how did you arrive at the Bold Moves book? That's a good question. I think that that book has been in the offing for maybe 15 years. It was the availability of a new, a whole new wealth of information, um, a shift that was going to have to take place in the way we respond to the media barrage. It was also shifts in a global environment, um, a new time in this, mm. in this century. And at the same time, uh, it, it occurred to me that I could do a lot with curriculum. That's my bread and butter, mm. but it wasn't enough. It took that many years to think through how do we systematize this and begin to write and, and, and create a book that builds almost in layers all of these questions. I, I mean, I could have written a book on curriculum, some more on that, and that would have been fine, but it wasn't enough. We could have written a book on pedagogy, gotten people excited, but then what do you do? It was the structural issue that struck me as the most daunting, and how do you get people mm. to change spaces and schedules and grouping? But it all started to hold together, and we agreed we would collaborate on a book, and, um, and it was a, a labor of enormous mind work and passion and uh, commitment. And we probably, here's a little secret, we probably threw out 300 pages. Right. Yeah, we did. I mean, we had a great editor, and we really worked it through, but we wanted every piece to work. But we had to see how it worked all the way through. And we ended up doing a lot on leadership and a section on policy that we realized that systemically you can really see how it all connects. Mm. That if policy decisions are made on antiquated beliefs, 
then you're going to end up really corrupting systems. Mm -hmm. if, if assessment and evaluation systems are based on antiquated beliefs, you can have a modern adventure, but ultimately it's going to drive people to older models. It gave us a perspective to be able to dive in, and also we, we hoped it would be a useful guide so that you could enter in at every level, but you would have to look at the interconnectedness between them. It, it makes me feel really good as a, as a colleague to hear you say that you, you found meaning. And honestly, the fact you said um, you were trying to look at it at all levels and you found the book helpful, I mean this sincerely, it gave me the chills. Mm. <laughs> I just loved it. It was really what we were trying to do, so thank you. It's not just a book you read, it's a book that you then use. And oh, we've nice. given the book to all our leadership team and we've, they've got various you know, tabs that remind them to look up this page. So, but you have, no, it's interesting here, 15 years now, because I can actually probably sense that 15 years, because what it does, it distills all of these big picture things that we struggle as educators to get our heads around with all the other pushes and pulls that we have in the working day. And then we've got this sort of toolbox now to actually interrogate and work with our teams to format our thinking and our decision making. The antiquated and, and classical and contemporary um, guidance that, that the book frames has been one of the most useful thinking tools that we've used in our teams because it's been really interesting for them in their groups to say, actually, I think this is antiquated and I'm the person who's doing the antiquated <laughs> thing. Yeah. And it's, it's getting that ownership around that kind of thought process, which has been so powerful that we've found. And I guess um, as we've moved with the bold moves, what was coming up online as an innovation plan then sort of really starts to develop a very strong entity, I think, amongst our teams because this was the bold move and it, it brought on those notions of courage and, and all those types of things that in the end is, is going to be a prerequisite for any really um, significant change in our schools. If you came back to, to my school in five years, having heard a little bit about what we're sort of and how we're using Bold Moves, what would you love the Bold Moves school to represent in the future? What would you love to see as evidence that mm. we've taken on your lessons and, and we've, we've, we've moved forward in a way that you think is right for, for our students? I'm going to answer this maybe a little bit differently than you might expect. I don't want to know that. I don't want to know because I think things are going to continue to grow in ways that we don't even know, even in five mm. years. So I guess my thought would be that your school is growing, mm. that it's not we've arrived because I don't mm. think you ever arrive. Mm. So I would hope you would be, you're going to hate this, <laughs> going at it and doing the grueling hard work you are now then. I really do believe that 10 years from now, school won't look like it does now. Mm. And it's exactly the work you're doing. So do I have a school vision of what it? No. What I think is important is that schools are alive and vibrant places, but they will have shed the shackles, the calcified shackles of old ways of thinking mm. about time and job descriptions and what the curriculum is. And it isn't to be radical like wild, it's to be radical like the notion of root. In mathematics it means root. Mm. That we get at some of the root habits that hold us back from being mm. more alive places. So I would want your place to be breathing and mm. responsive and the most current work on how kids learn um, would, be, would be taking place and that you would still be at it 
and mm. thinking about how to be in a live place. But yeah, there's some concrete things I'd like to see change. I, I'd like to see a lot more responsiveness so that schedules and spaces and grouping is a response to the kids and what they need as opposed to we fit them into those boxes. Mm. But exactly what it would look like, no, I think it varies per place. Mm. That's a feeling at the moment is those shackles that you said, they're so strong. Um, and to sort of get people to reimagine the roles of schools and the types of curriculum that needs to be there. And as, as you as you were saying before, the curriculum is going to be everything in the end. And it's going to be all the decisions that we make around what is going to be in the curriculum that's going to be critical. It's true. You know, one thing too, though, that is, I think is going to shift, and I do see it happening now, is I do think you're going to see a lot more co-created learning experiences. And you will see learners stepping up in more collaborative roles with teachers and that teachers are going to try to be more like the phrase I like quite a bit is lead learners mm -hmm. as we begin to um, open up and investigate um, the problems and issues that are very much in front of us as opposed to the older models of curriculum which are very much coverage of mm -hmm. um, kind of stayed let's get through it um, I think that will be negotiated more. I do think you'll see more active roles for students. Not that they do everything, I'm not suggesting that. Mm. But I think that that's a shift that's already beginning to happen. It certainly is in the United States. Mm. And it is um, a real sign of, of shifting and changing. I think graduation will change. We write about that in the book. Because mm. it's too much based on seat time still, mm. not readiness. And I think colleges are gonna change, universities rather, will start oh. to change. I do. Um, you're going to see a, a, a lot of changes because it's already happening. The student population is changing. The demand is different. You, you will see in the future more credentialing is a very interesting phrase. Universities don't always prepare students for the credentials they need to what will likely be multiple jobs they're going to carry out. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's an adequated model that's already sort of begin bidding into fray. And so systemically, I think we'll see significant shifts in 10 years, I do. Well, that's exciting. It is. So what would you advise to me in terms of um, conversations with, with teachers who you don't see the case for change and, and feel that the innovation agenda is, is, a, is a threat to what has been a very strong educational model in the past? What types of conversations would you advise? Well, first of all, I think they're right. I think it is a threat and, and a good one. I think the key here is what are you afraid of? I think it's to be empathic to people. I had a wonderful mentor when I was in graduate school and um, he always said, don't assume you know the motive for resistance. Sometimes people have legitimate concerns. Sometimes they're threatened because of, they're gonna lose a job, they're afraid. Or they're threatened because I don't know how to innovate. So I get real defensive, I wanna protect the turf that I have. Sometimes um, people are afraid that students know more than they do. Well, they probably do about certain things. Sometimes it's intellectual laziness. Sometimes it's a personal sort of issue, like I just have trouble with new risk taking. I think the key is to acknowledge it as a threat. I, I totally, if somebody is threatened by it, they are. So I think it's like, so how can we support you in that? I also think it's important um, not to try to make people over, like they're wrong or you're right. I think the issue here is as professionals, remember how I always say we make one agreement 
everyone will only agree that they'll make their case for what they want to do in the best interest of learners. Mm -hmm. So if I do that, then the shoe's on the other foot. I can make a good case for being responsive to contemporary life, providing students with the needs for digital learning and the like, because that's the world they're in. I can make a case for them to have authentic learning experiences. Mm -hmm. I can show that's in their best interest. Somebody's got to make a case for me why it's in their best interest to use an old model where they have one teacher all day and they just cover, I, I don't buy that. I don't think you can make a case for that. So th the key here is the three questions we ask is what helps me? What are we gonna cut? What are we gonna keep? And what are we gonna create? Because if some of the teachers who were lugged to it are afraid of some of their best classical stuff is gonna be gone, no it's not. Yes. I wanna reassure them. Yeah. But if they're making a case to preserve the antiquated, I think it has to be confronted. Mm. Yeah, I think, and that's where um, I feel that that model antiquated contemporary and classical is really, really important. It's good. It's good. <laughs> first of all, we've noticed that people put their hands up and say these antiquated, as I was saying before. But second of all, there's been a motivation with our leisure team when someone says, you know, we should still do this. The group feels it's antiquated. It has brought around that type of conversation, and that person has all those groups have ever had, had trouble justifying some of it's antiquated because in the end, it sort of drills down to. Well, that's the way I've always done it. That's the habit I've had. Yeah. And well, that's that's how these things perpetuated. So sometimes I use a, sometimes I use a little humor on something like that. Mm -hmm. Like I might say, let's use your example. That's the way I've always done it, and that's the way it is. And I would say then change your mission statement. Mm -hmm. Let's make a mission statement that says we will do things always because we've done it, and that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. And nobody would take their child to a doctor who said that. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't. No. No, I'm using the same method as the 1980s. I was a happy camper then, and so who needs x-rays? I mean, the, the, the justification comes out of the fear people have of the shift. So my coaching to you would be, if you have somebody who's really struggling, I would never do anything in a big meeting in front of people. But I think you work with them one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. and see if you can help them make one shift. Maybe you won't do a lot. But I think, I think that's an important thing to be invitational. But the other side of it is if you really are doing what's in the student's best interest, you're gonna have excellent arguments and discussions and you will do a better job. But it can't just be habit. I just don't see that as a viable mm. argument. Yeah, or convenience. Or no, convenience. and good classical practice is terrific. We want it, we want it. Yeah.